Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. My name is Craig Ferguson. The name of this podcast is Joy. I talk to interesting people about what brings them happiness. Ed Begley Jr. is a legend in show business, and he came down from on high to talk to poor, lonely me in Hollywood. He's a wonderful man. Ed Begley Jr. I first met you, it was, I'm going to say it would be about 1997. Was it Drew Carey? It was the Drew Carey show, right? You were so good on that show. Oh, man, you were so good on that show. But I remember, one of the things that really stick in my mind about it was that you turned up in an EV1. I did, that's right. I had one in that year. You You're had very good. an EV1. 97, yes. The electric car. And I was like, I remember because I said, does it go fast? And you said, yeah. And we drove around on the Warner Brothers lot in an EV1. And it was like shit off a shovel, that thing. Yeah. It was really unbelievable. Quick. And then they shut it down. They crushed them all. They did. They did everything where they had them in production available for lease and not sale. Keep in mind, they'd never sold one. They just wanted to lease it so they could control it. Right. There's a line in Shakespeare, I think, to condemn with faint praise. That's what they did with that car. They had... All these ads in the LA Times, not for a long time, but they had full-page ads. The electric car, the Saturn logo was as big as my thumbnail, maybe. Really? You couldn't. Nobody knew where to get it. I'd pull a group of people, hundreds or dozens. I'd say, how many people know about the electric car? All hands would go up. The GM electric car, hands would go up. How many people know where to get one? One person, maybe. Nobody yeah, knew I, where to I, get it. I, I remember, because I remember at the time saying, I would do this. I would get an electric car. How did you charge the EV one? Was that was it a, a you, deal to charge yeah, it? Yeah, it was a bit of a minor bit of work to charge it properly. You could charge it in 110 volt, but that was, you know, slow, slow. Right. At that, with that amount of current. But if you had a 240 volt line in your garage, many people do for an electric dryer or some other appliance. Everyone in Britain has that. That's yeah, what exactly. It is That's the standard voltage, exactly. Right. So it's not not that difficult to get an electrician to come and wire it if you don't have it because there's, you know, three wires coming into everybody's home that, you know, equals uh, three, 240 volts so you can do it. It's so crazy to me that, the who shut it down? Did you, I mean, I know there was that documentary who killed the electric car. Did you see that? Yeah, I'm in it, believe it or not. Oh, are you? Well, I didn't see it. So, so I, it's I a good, wouldn't know. It's I a good documentary. Chris right. Payne did a wonderful job. Well, who who killed the electric car then? They rightly uh, put the blame at several people's feet. You know, there's lots of people that did things that made it go away. Right. But Wagoner, I think that's his correct name, the guy at GM, when they said, what's your biggest success while you were there? And he said something I don't remember. And he said, what's your biggest failure? He said, killing the electric car. Oh, really? They knew it, it, was, it was right in the cusp of being something great. And now every manufacturer has electric cars. Yeah, no, they all have to do it now. Yeah. And, it, and it's, uh, do you drive an electric car? You I do. I have, yeah, I've had uh, electric cars since 1970, believe it or not. Quite primitive then. What? What did when you I, have in 1970? Let 19- me be full disclosure yeah. clear here. We're, we're talking about electric you know, electric car, it's a, a golf cart with a windshield wiper and a horn. <laughs> electric cart with a T, <laughs> an all-important, a K and yeah, a T, yeah, electric yeah. cart. 
Do you play golf? I never don't think I do not play golf. No, but you, anything involving a sphere, count me out. I don't think of you as being a big sporty man. No, I'm I'm a bike rider. I used to ski, but now I've I've kind of slowed down. You know, I have to say, I fell off a horse about three weeks ago. Oh boy! And it hurt a bit, but I'm okay. But I'm 61 now, and I think I don't think I'm going to ski again because because I like you you get an idea of what it's like to come back from a fall. Oh boy! And it's it's not like it used to be, man. I know I can't do it anymore. There's yeah. no rolling, no tuck and rolling. No, I can tuck no. or roll. I can't tuck and roll. It's, it's, it's like it's like when asked to do a job. No, I can sing or dance, but I can't <laughs> sing and dance. That's me too. My drumming now. I can do the hi hat. I can't do the kick drum yeah. or I can't do the Are snare you a drummer? drum. I used to be a drummer. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that was. Is that how you didn't start out? Is that you were an actor? You were a kid actor. Yeah, right? I was. A, I started at seventeen. I wanted from the age of ten, but I had no skills, so I was shocked that no one gave me a job. I had a real "wake me when I'm famous" attitude, and I never got any work. And I finally trained, and I got work. You would do well now, because now it doesn't matter. Exactly, you, just you can reality just... star, and next thing you know, you got thirteen on air. What was your first gig? My Three Sons. That's right. I think I asked you that before. My Three Sons, which is in the, you know, it's in the Hall of Fame. It's an American classic. It is. It's a classic. Fred McMurray. You yeah. Know, to get a star of that magnitude, you know. To do someone, TV back then. Yeah. yeah to get a, a, him, a movie star to do television, they had a guarantee he would only shoot like one day a week. So we do all the stuff with him, with Fred McMurray on Friday, let's say. All different actors came in, all different you know, shots, angles, and what have you to do it. You're done. See you next week. See what one day a week. One day a week. I love that. See, I, I. That's what I miss about the the glory days of sitcoms. That you know, when we were doing the Drew Carey show, we got it down to like two and a half days a week. That was and, such a good show. Ah, uh, it was a fun show. It's lost media now, though. It's like you can't find it anywhere. Is that true? Yeah, I think there's something to do with the music rights on it or something. Damn it all. That yeah, was so fine. It, it's, I don't know where it is, but it is. Do you hear about Drew Carey during the writer's strike, what he did? What did he do? He kept an open tab at a restaurant in Hollywood. Uh, I think it's called Scribbles or Scrandles or Sandals or something. It's a restaurant, like a diner that everybody likes to go to, and Drew kept an open tab. So if you had a WGA card, you could go in and get... Uh, I love that guy for so many it, reasons. Now i got another amazing? one. He's amazing. He's, He's such amazing. a great guy. Swingers, that's Swingers, it. Swingers, yeah. Swingers restaurant. He did... Okay, it, it shouldn't shock me for a moment. I that's mean, the kind I of think thing his, he would do. His tab was like 70 grand or something for the strike. I mean, to, to just buy in... Yeah, uh, tuna melts for every writer yeah. in town. <laughs> God <laughs> for bless like him. Five months, which is, but that's who he is. I'm gonna call him up and embarrass him when we're yeah, done. Yeah, I, I, the thing is, as well, he gets embarrassed with that kind of thing. It's weird. Good, then my work is done if yeah. I can embarrass him. <laughs> so let me ask you this: because you're you're a child of of show business, right? I mean, you're yeah. Ed Begley Jr. because your dad Ed Begley was a famous yep. actor too, right? Yeah, big actor, right. Twelve Angry Men, Jury Number Ten, right? Won an Oscar for Sweet Bird of Youth, Best Supporting. I didn't know. Won he a won Tony for On Broadway with Paul Muni in uh, Inherit the Wind. Big, big actor, big time. So was he hesitant about you becoming an actor? or He was quite hesitant, and rightly so. My older brother, Tom, Tom had been in show business with him briefly. I mean, going back to, you know, like vaudeville. They had a vaudeville act together, father and son. Right. But it turned out at some age, Tom went, I didn't want to do that. You made me do that, and I wanted uh. to be playing stickball with the guys, and you had me when you're a stupid act and forget about it. Uh -oh. And then so he didn't want to do it for about five or seven years. Then he went, no, I was wrong the second time. The first time was right. Now was right again. <laughs> I want to be an actor again. My dad was like, that ship has sailed, boy. I remember saying to my older brother, Tom, who I worshipped, that ship has sailed. But he occasionally got him a job on something like uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents or something. This, this is the glory days of television, man. Glory I mean, days. Like, everything was, the whole city was pumping with work at that time. Rod Serling, he wrote patterns that my dad was brilliant in, and Dick Kiley was in, and all these, Everett Sloan was in. Just nothing but great writers. Sidney Lumet directing these TV shows like 12 Angry Men. Then it became, it became a, it was a television show, I believe, a teleplay. Then it became a great movie, and it's still here. Patty Chayefsky, that's the golden age of television. But you know what I think? What? I think this is the platinum age of television right now. I hear you. You were on one of the best shows ever made recently, the the Bear Call Saul. No, uh, no question. Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould. Come on, unbelievable. Doing it once with uh, Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad, then to do it again. I know. I remember. I saw Bob Odenkirk. Our kids used to go to the same school, and I know Bob a little bit. And you know, 
one of the nicest, easiest men. I love Bob so much. Unbelievable, right? So I see, I see him in the parking lot. We were dropping the kids off at the school bus or something. And I said, what are you up to? Because Breaking Bad had just ended. And he said, well, the guys have come back to me and they want to take the Saul Goodman character and maybe do something with it. I said, you're going to do it? And he went, I don't know. I, can, can they do it again? That's and what I thought. I, I didn't. And, but man, did they ever. I, did they? I prefer Better Call. And I love Breaking Bad. But I, I prefer Better Call Saul. I don't know. It's like, which child do you like? I like yeah. them both so much. <laughs> but they really, the art direction, the cinematography, it's like a feature film. Every yeah. single episode is like a feature film. Yeah. And then Vince and Peter know how to do it. Every episode, they have that thing like they had in Breaking Bad, that that original visual thing. You go, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. Pants flying through the air and a motorhome blows past the pants. What could that possibly mean? Yeah. A lowrider car going ring, 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 ring on the hydraulics with spin we spent shell casings down on the ground right. and the window blown out and back. What does that mean? And then we learn. It's, it's, I, I think the, the visual storytelling is unbelievable. Unbelievable. It? It, it's fantastic. But what also kind of struck me with Better Call Saul was it seems like they, they had mellowed ever so slightly in the sense that, and I, for me, it would make it because Breaking Bad sometimes it was like, I can't, I can't watch this. I know. It's, it's so too painful. hard. It's just too hard. Yeah. But they kind of dialed it back just a tiny bit for Better Call yeah. Saul. So that when when the violence or the horror did happen, you were like, yeah, these guys deserve that, you know, and all that. It was amazing, though. I mean, just amazing. Did you have fun doing it? I had the best time ever. You and still I drove, enjoy the acting then? You I love it. Have... I thought I'd be done by now, but I uh, people still call. Well, you're a great actor, right? I mean, uh, I have you no got, idea what I'm doing. And anyone who was on My Three Sons. And, exactly. And, and everybody knows how punctual you are. I mean, you, I've never heard of anyone say that. You know you, what? I'm going to say something now, and I really believe it's true. What? Well, first of all, the first part we all know is true. I'm not Joaquin Phoenix. I'm not Meryl Streep. I'm not Bob De Niro. I don't have that level of skill. I just don't. No, Nothing bad about it. No, no judgment. I don't have it. But I show up on time. No, I do not. I show up early every single Me day. Too, yeah. I never cost them any time. Yeah. And I always there know my lines. And they remember that stuff as it turns out. Who knew? A hundred percent. I mean, I think that what kills actors, particularly on the way up, young actors, is attitude when you think that you're so talented that people will look beyond your behavior, which that, that's not... That's not the case. This my job is to do my job as an actor, be prepared with what I think the character is and my lines and all that. Yeah. But then my job is also to make every single department do their job better, to help the boom man, the lighting guy, everybody, the first assistant with his follow focus, hit that mark so he can keep it in focus, all that stuff. That's my job, to make their job as easy did, as I can, did having you get, done my job. Did you get that ethos from your father? Was that... Was that 100%. Yeah? He never, ever walked to the set. He ran to the set. Mr. Begley... We're ready for you now. Oh, hold that boy. I'm going in. You know, he said, he start running with his stubby little legs. He just ran his ass <laughs> to the set. Got right there. Knew everybody's name. Made everybody's job easier. People have an odd idea about how Hollywood is. It's actually, it's a very, I mean, it's very work town. It's work-based more than anything else. And this idea that, you know, those actors are millionaires and they, you know, going on strike and you go, well, some actors absolutely are millionaires and make a great deal of money. But I think the vast majority of actors in this town, it's, it's like it's a middle class job. You exactly. The vast okay. majority of people just yeah. getting check to check. Yeah. But I learned something as far as cooperating and making everybody's job easier. I did a movie called She Devil with Meryl Streep. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's a great movie. She would come in with some brilliant idea like she has in every movie she's ever done. What's on the page is often wonderful, and she always does something brilliant. And Susan Seidelman, the director, would say, mm, you know what, I think you should do something else. And she'd say something, and I'm sitting there thinking, that's terrible. My God, she's going to get now scolded by Meryl Streep. How dare you tell me what to do, and how dare you come up with a lesser idea? Right. She goes, okay. Let me take this sow's ear and make it into a silk purse. And here you are, did exactly what she said oh, really? and made it completely fine. It wasn't as good as what she did, right. but it's like nearly as good or maybe even as good. But <laughs> she does, uh, she could take a bad idea and make it great. Have you ever worked with, and you don't have to say any names, but you've ever worked with an actor and you've thought, well, what the hell are you doing here? Because I, I'm, well, I'm going to preface this by saying that I've worked with a couple. I'm like, I why, have to. why are you doing this job if it's so painful? I know. Because it's easy. And, you know, all you have to do is just, like you say, be professional about it, and everybody's cool. That's what people want. 
right? If you had a, a reading, if you auditioned some manner and you and they like what you did, try and do that the first take. They want to do something else and do that. You want to do something that's occurred to you since a reading, fine. Ask the director if he wants to see that. I just bring in like a a salad bowl with different stuff. You want some of this or that? What do you want on it? Yeah, And yeah. Uh, you guys pick what you want. Will you read for a part if you like it? Or does the, is that in the rear view mirror? I don't have to read often, but when I have the opportunity, I'm happy to. My agent, no, really? we don't want you to read. We don't want, I said, dude, I like reading. I get to go and play the part in the room. Then I get to do it again with pay yeah, in front well, maybe. of a digital well, camera. Well, well, I guess you do. See, I always, I had a different thing about, about reading for parts. I always thought, Wait, so you want me to do the the job and then if you don't like it, you fire me? I feel right. like, because once I get as far as learning the lines, which you got to really do for the reading, then now it's mine. I care about it. Uh, and, now, yeah. and then I get fired. I found it very difficult. And of course, everybody gets, you know, doesn't get every audition. It just doesn't happen yeah. for anyone. And I, but I found it very tough. I, I couldn't take it. I'm thinking right now, I haven't had a read in a while, but if I had a read for something tomorrow, if it was something good, yeah. sometimes I get confused, like a casting director, you wait a minute, you read for me last month. I said, yeah, but that was different. It was great material. This one isn't so great. You know, they don't so get that. So that's what it is then. If it's, if it's great material, material I, get to, I get to go and play it in a room. I get to play that part. It's gravy if they want me to do it again in front of a digital camera. That's gravy. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's talk a little bit about, because you and I have a similar, not, not, well, a similar story when it comes to the old, uh, uh, oh, yeah. the old alcohol. I had a thirst. I like my gargle. Yeah, I did. What age were you when you quit? 
I was uh, 30 years old. It was 1979. I was almost the same. I was Look at just you. before my 30th birthday. My daughter got sober at 15. Wow, that's if I got amazing. sober at 15, I'd, world, I'd run the world. I, you know, I, I look at that because people sometimes say, you know, oh, you know, I spilled more on my tie than you drank and all that. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't make you better at it. No, that just no. means you drank longer. I'm glad I got sober when I did because I felt like I think 30 is is kind of a sweet spot because you've done enough damage to really fuck up your life a bit, but usually not beyond repair. And, yes, and you've yes. convinced you. Well, this is what I thought. I'd convinced myself without a shadow of a doubt that I was, you know, someone who had alcoholism. I, that's what I have. By Drew Carey, you were sober already. Oh, yeah. I was sober three years by the time I started Good for you. Me on. too, before St. Elsewhere. Same thing, three years before St. Elsewhere. St. Elsewhere, because that I was never a been able to do huge gag for you. Didn't you get like 10 Emmys for that or something? I mean, I got it? nominated six times. I yeah. never won, but I got you nominated. Never, you never won? No. I, That's let, awful. No, it's fine to get nominated. It really is. It is, but uh, I mean... I always think when you go to these award ceremonies and you think, I'm not going to win, but you kind of hope you do. Yeah, Every now and again, you, you do. think, and, what if? Yeah. I remember once I won an Emmy and I was like, I, the first time I won an Emmy, I was like so excited. I didn't want to be that excited. I totally blew my cool. I was like, this is the greatest thing it ever. It is. It is it's the greatest. such a rush. It is a rush. Oh my God, I love it. I would it. know the winning rush, but I know the nominated rush and that's yeah. fine. That's enough. That's all I need. I think you've I think you've had a few, can, you've won stuff, haven't you? I was nominated recently too for this show. Great show done by these wonderful women called Control Alt Delete about a, a women's health clinic. I got nominated for an for an Emmy for that for best you know like streaming show or something or right. online only show whatever they call it. And I was literally this is the truth sitting there thinking, oh please God don't let me win. I just don't know. I don't feel like talking to a lot of people right now. Please God don't let me win. I was actually praying that I did not win and I got my wish. <laughs> oh yeah, you didn't. And win? If you saw the show, you know why. Careful what you what you pray People for. say you try to act so humble. I said I'm obviously humble. Go see some of my early work. I have reason to be humble. I've got a lot to be humble about. I don't know. I think you're being a bit tough on yourself. But that's the kind of thing that what surprised me, I guess, and I think surprises civilians who are not alcoholic, is that I thought when I stopped drinking, I'd, I'd get better, you know, mentally. And that, that wasn't the case for me. I, I kind of got crazier. Was not, there, not in my behavior, but in my my level of discomfort. Do you know what I mean? Was there a period early on where it worked for you? Uh, drinking? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Me too. Yeah. I think it, I literally think it saved my life before it almost killed me. I totally agree, 100%. I yeah. was such a wreck. I needed it 16, 17, 18, all this stuff that happened to me. I went, I just need to numb my ass somehow. I'll take anything you got. Right. If they'd give me heroin at that young age, I probably would have done it. Well, you now you were coming through Hollywood when that a lot of that stuff was around. Did you run into it constantly? In fact, yeah. it wasn't like if you're wired, you're fired. The way it became, let's say, nineteen eighty something. Right. Before that, it was like, why is he not doing any of my cocaine? Is he a narc? <laughs> is he uptight? Should I be worried about this guy? Who is this guy that's not doing any drugs? He won't even smoke a joint with me. Get him. Get the. That's, get him off the set. That's crazy. It was I, crazy. I don't know about like the rise of marijuana and cannabis now, right? Like it's, it's like people, it's like a Starbucks you can get. I know. I mean, I kind of like, that is the drug. I mean, I've taken every drug that was available at the time I was taking drugs, right? I've taken heroin, I've taken crack, cocaine, I've taken cocaine, I've, ta I've taken every drug that, like a lot of the stuff, meth and stuff like that, that wasn't there or ecstasy. I was out of the game by that time. Right, me too. But I've, but I've taken a lot of drugs and the one that gave me the most psychotic reaction without a shadow of a doubt was cannabis. and But high-end cannabis, not the kind of cannabis they have today, right? I, I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, you haven't I mean, had it so long. I wasn't buying it you know? from a, a store. I was buying it from a, a guy. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> like, but I don't know. I mean, it, it produced in me a psychosis, which I still makes me a little uncomfortable to talk about 30 plus years later, 32 years later, nearly. I actually, now that I think of it for only a moment, I had the same reaction most of the time. When I smoked pot, I got extremely paranoid. Yep. I was just, oh my God, I'm in the post office, the post office. <laughs> what am I doing in the DMV? Yeah, I don't know it what was to do. Not a, it wasn't a cool thing. Yeah, it shouldn't be scary to be in the DMV. No, it shouldn't be. Wow. Well, well maybe it, for yeah. other reasons. <laughs> but it, it, it's kind of weird though, because it, there is this kind of, 
the the orthodoxy because because everything is about media orthodoxy. I think right now you got to you got to say the right thing or you're in trouble. Right. And the implication is that if you, I feel anyway, if you say anything negative about cannabis, that you're somehow you know, uh, like a slightly to the right of Hitler when it comes to, you know, social interaction. I'm like, no, I, I just don't like it at all and never did. I never did either. Yeah. I don't know why I kept doing it. Well, it's, I see, I loved alcohol. I loved it too. Yeah, I love the smell. It worked. Yeah, it You could get it anywhere. Yeah. It was okay to drink it. I used to drink it on the set in a scene. I would ask the prop man. I said, "No, don't give Not me that near beer." Not during my three sons, though. Don't give me that near beer stuff. I want. I need it for my character. I need yeah. real beer. The movie was blue collar, and there's a shot in it. You can see. Not that. I, well, it's a good movie. It's worth seeing. But don't see it just for this, of course. <laughs> just for I'm walking to my car, and I'm clearly really drunk, or I'm a brilliant actor, or I'm really drunk. It's the latter. Well, you, you, they're not mutually exclusive conditions. I mean, there's been plenty of really good actors who were really drunk while they were acting. That's why I, dr that's why I drank, now that you remind me, it was your yeah. brothers, you know, in England that were the ones that, you know, Burton O'Toole, all those guys, Tony Hopkins Richard in Harris, the day, you know, Tony Hopkins, all those yeah. guys. Oliver well, they're Reed. either dead or sober, though, all those guys now. They all either died to drink or, or, I mean, Tony got sober and... Yeah, uh, not a few of the others did, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it was... Uh, I remember I talked to, it was a director I know. Do you know Peter Medak? Peter Medak. Yeah. I know, I love Peter Medak. Yeah, isn't he great? He's a great guy. Uh, he's a lovely guy. Uh, he directed The Ruling Class. What a good movie that yeah, was. Yeah, and that was, O'Toole was in that movie. Was uh, when he was drinking, there. he said, yeah, it was It was insane. It was and Caroline Seymour was in it. Oh, so beautiful. Oh, uh, yeah. That's a crazy film. Crazy I mean. film. But the, these movies, these kind of like, I guess that would be the 70s, late 60s, early 70s. I think so. Yeah. I think it's 70s. I mean, that kind of almost like Easy Riders, uh, was it Easy Rider Raging Bull? That what a good, book? did you yeah. read that book? It's yeah, so did, wonderful. Yeah. Did you, was it accurate, do you think, at that time? Because you, you, you were working around When I knew time. of those movies, I was not on those movies. I wasn't on Easy Rider Raging Bull, but on a lot of those movies that those same people did. I worked with Bob Rafelson, for instance. I worked for, with Paul Schrader. And in my book, I talk about, you know, what oh, yeah. a set was like in that book. And uh, believe me, it was the Wild West. Yeah, it, it kind of, I want to talk to you a little bit because the, the biography, tell me the title again. To the Temple of Tranquility and Step on It. <laughs> so that's, you know, it's the story of, of growing, well, it's your life story, obviously. It right? is. Um, but growing up around those sets, it must have been very strange. I don't know how anything get made. I mean, I don't know how you could make a movie with a cell phone, never mind everybody being high on cocaine. And you stuff look like at that. some of these old episodes of, I don't know, Charlie's Angels. I'm not picking on them specifically, but I think it might have been that show, any show. And I worked on that show in the 70s, so I should probably shut up. But I mean, lots of shows like that. The writing is so incredibly bizarre, and then oh, you yeah. find out everybody was high on something. Everybody, everybody was, high. was high on something. Well, I think if you if you get a a show like Fantasy Island, right, which runs for years and years and years, it's a and, license to print money. Yeah, I mean, really, it is. And <laughs> but that kind of thing doesn't really. I mean, I guess it exists, but it doesn't. It exists in kind of like the Netflix thing, like some people make a ton of money, but. But the actual formula of of making these big network shows, I think that's that's kind of over, isn't it? It is a lot of that. Yeah, that formulaic stuff. Yeah, which is a shame because I kind of loved it. Um, but, but I like you know everything changes. The new the TV is True. better. It, it, it is better, no doubt about it. Now listen, you are comedic royalty. Stop it! But no, go ahead. it's true. Because of, if for nothing else, and there's a large, large body of work, but for nothing else, you have a role in, to my mind, the greatest comedy movie of the last 50 years, which is, of course, Spinal Tap. I agree. You know, it's I a mean, classic. It, it is an, a, an amazing piece of work. Uh, were you guys aware when you were doing it that you had... I mean, it looks to me like a lot of fun, but having interacted a little bit with Christopher Guest, he's not what I thought he would be. He's very, he's quite a serious person, I think, isn't he? He is a very serious man about his work and everything. Yeah. And he's, uh, because of that, he makes brilliant movies. He sure does, no doubt And Rob it. Reiner and uh, the guys, Harry Shearer, Michael McKean, all of them. When I did it, 
I had no idea what was going to happen with it at all. In fact, it was purported to be just like a part of a sizzle reel they're going to do to raise money because it was kind of kinescope-looking stuff, you know, old footage-looking stuff where the, we're playing there like black and white. Right, stuff, that's right, yeah. Mop-top kind of stuff. And so that's what we did. And I, I, Then about a year later, they went, you know what? They got the funding to do the movie, so they want to use that sizzle reel kind of oh, stuff that we shot. Right. The low res is a is a feature; it's not a a bug. So uh, they and we signed contracts to uh, allow it to be used in a SAG movie, and uh, that's my memory of how it happened. And that's it, funny. So it was kind of pieced together a little bit. Yeah, but so lucky to be in it. But you became part of that that kind of loose repertory company that that Christopher Guest put together for you know, A Mighty Wind and and these movies. Uh, did you do Best in Show as well? You did Best in I Show I did Best well. in yeah, Show, yeah. and that's how Chris Guest single-handedly sprung me out of movie jail. I was in movie oh, jail yeah. in the 90s because I'd done a bunch of movies that weren't successful box office and got poor reviews. So by 1990, it was like, yeah, Ed's fine, but who else you got? And I wouldn't get, I didn't get a lot of studio work. I could go up to Canada, do a movie with a little girl and a bear. <laughs> I could go <laughs> Australia movie with a little girl in the tango. I yeah, I did. Uh, I went to Florida and did a movie with a talking dog. I know yeah. what you mean. <laughs> I did Ms. Bear, true story, and I did Joey in Australia. So that's what I did. But you got to do it though. Exactly. I kept working. I did a lot of TV. So don't throw any benefits for me. But Chris Guest single handedly by putting me in Best in Show in 1999, I believe was the year. Yeah, uh, he, he busted yeah. me out of movie jails. It's a great movie. It it's is a great movie. Uh, the method of working. I mean, there's been a lot talked about it. Uh, is it as is it as improvisational as it feels, or is it more um, scripted the, than people realize? It is imp as improvisational as you could imagine. Really, Chris Guest and Eugene Levy. That's who did the first like three of them. Right. Did the you know best in show Guffman. Best in Show and A Mighty Win. Then after right. that, it's been Jim Piddick, the wonderful Jim Piddick, too. Jim Piddick's great. He was uh, on the Drew Carey Show as well. Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Great guy, too. I love him. Yeah. Uh, so they would take the time and do the hard work of writing the treatment, the 25-page treatment. Right. So Best in Show, for instance, all it has on the page is Jerry and Cookie Fleck, which is Eugene Levy and <laughs> Catherine O'Hara, so right. I can't go wrong. I right. can just stand there and not break up. Jerry and Cookie Fleck try to check in the hotel. The credit card doesn't work. That's it. Right. That And that's a great premise for people yeah. like that to work And so with. from there, it's like, you know, it, the chord is G minor seventh that you're going to be playing here and just uh, now start riffing. And that's what we do. We just play. They give you the chord chart or whatever you want to call it of the treatment. And then you blow some notes after that. Now, you talk about it in terms of musicianship, which makes perfect sense because all of these guys are all musicians. They're all... They Fine all play. musicians, are too. You, are you a player, too? Do you still play? I do not play anymore. Yeah. I, my neurological condition uh, dictates otherwise. You have a neurological condition? I do. I have Parkinson's. I kind of spoiled I, the last I, chapter. I'm, I, I'm, I'm shocked to hear you say it. And, uh, I'm very happy that you don't know it. I'm doing pretty good. This is the way Parkinson's can be 2023. Your hands are not shaking at all. They're, I know. I could pass the sobriety checkpoint. Yeah, that's... I'm uh, Well... Uh, uh, do you feel okay? When did that happen? I feel okay. It happened in 2004. I got it. I didn't even know I had it for 12 years. 2016, I got diagnosed. And uh, I've done all the stuff the AMA kind of neurologists tell you to do. Then for extra credit, I did other holistic things that have helped too. So... What you like? Let's let me guess. You 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 already didn't drink alcohol, so you probably stopped eating meat and dairy and stuff, right? Yeah, Are you I, vegan? I've been a vegan for a while. Yeah, and so uh, also I started doing. Uh, I always did vigorous exercise. I upped the ante a bit there. I do a lot of very useful exercise. I do something called glutathione. I do What's something. That? It's something that's good for people who have neurological conditions. It kind of helps ease the. Uh, you know, the nervous system from kind of zapping out a little bit. Right. And NAD helps too. Hyperbaric chamber actually helped me too. Wow, really? You go in a hyperbaric chamber and you get an oxygen-rich infusion there for the, the hour that you're in there. That helps a lot. And even and stem cells. There's places you can get stem cells, and that's helped me too. That's kind of... I remember when my uh, kids were born, they, they just started with the oldest boy that you could get the from the umbilical cord. They would take it and right. store it. Right. for stem cells if it was ever needed for treatment later on. Very smart. That's what yeah. they're doing. Stem cell uh, is a very good way to go too. 
So what do they do? They just like inject some kind of mixture of it into you and it makes you feel better? Yeah, they give you an IV with uh, stem cells in it for about 30 minutes with some glucose and they give you four injections wherever you have a little bit of body fat. I have a little bit of body fat in my abdomen, so they give you four shots there. Yeah, that's probably where I'd get it as well, or my ass. (laughs) (laughs) I should probably get it there too. No, I don't Spread it around. (laughs) I've got plenty of body fat, but I hope that's where it stops for now. (laughs) I had no idea. I mean... That's First good of all, news for I, me. That's great because you don't, I mean, you don't come across as anyone who's even remotely infirm in any way. You just look like you always did. Bless you. It's the truth. I had a similar reaction from people I worked with on two separate TV series. And I said, thank you so much for being so patient with my Parkinson's. I went, what the hell are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's. A, I'm genuinely shocked to hear you. I mean, I had no idea. That's this is, great. See, this is why I never read the book or see the movie before I talk to someone. Because they used to say to me, when I was doing late night, they would say, you have to see the movie before the guest comes on. And I'd be like, why? They said, well, then you can talk about the movie. I said, but surely the idea is that if we're going to talk about a movie that nobody has seen this movie, so if the actor who's in the movie talks to me about it and I ask questions about the movie, I'm asking the questions that other people who have not yet seen the movie are going to ask. Isn't that the way to do it? Whatever you're doing, this is one of the best interviews I've ever had. So whatever you're doing, keep doing it, my friend. I'm enjoying this. But it, it kind of, I kind of feel like interviews, like everything in life, marriage, family, to a degree you can't really do this, but marriage, relationships, movies, interviews, everything is casting. Everything is casting. You know that. I think you're right. I think it is. Like I've directed one movie, and I compromised and compromised and compromised on casting. Now I directed this movie, I wrote the movie, I'm in the movie, and I don't like the movie. Now, how did that happen? Wait a minute. Because I. Comp- What's the name of this movie? It's called I'll Be There, and it's. Uh, now I really, really want to see. You it. should see the movie because it's. Look, it, it. Some people like the movie. I don't like the movie, and and I've never liked the movie. And the reason why I never liked the movie, and I don't want to say that, like some of the actors in the movie, like I was like very happy to have them. And they're good actors, but it wasn't the way I wanted it to be. I compromised on a lot of things. And in the end, it, it just didn't. And I think the other piece of casting, the greatest mistake I made in casting is that I put myself in the movie. Interesting. And that, that was, uh, did you ever do that? Did you ever direct? I directed a couple of NYPD Blue, but I wasn't in any of them, so that, yeah, that made it just nothing but fun. I yeah, loved it. Yeah, I bet you'd enjoyed it. See, I should never have put myself in the movie. First of all, I was not as good an actor as anyone else who had cast in the movie. They were all much better actors than me. Oh, and, interesting. Uh, no, yeah, I love that you have the awareness to say all these right, things. I'm, I'm sitting there in the, uh, you know, watching the rushes, which we used to have back then, and you know, watching the dailies, and, and I'm going, oh my God, I... I suck, and they're all good. This is terrible. Oh. <laughs> and we try and cut around it, but it's it's very definitely, I think, good actors, weirdly enough, and you have this, have an odd lack of vanity because people think of actors as being vain. But actually, I think it's it's a little more complex than that. I don't think they're vain at all. I think they're wildly insecure. But if you give them something to be, they can relax. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, here's your personality. Here's who you are. Here's what you think. Here's how you react. And I think there are certain personalities in acting, you know, who are good actors that go, oh, that's great. Now I, now I know how to, how to be and how to, how to do things. I'm one of those people. I love being directed. I come in with something. Sometimes, you know, I have my choice. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good at all. And the director says, why don't you try it this way? I go, how could I have missed that? That's like 85 times better than what I had in mind. How could I not <laughs> think of the generally the general category of something like that? That's so brilliant and not at all what I came in with. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. 
Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever worked with someone and you've thought, this guy has no idea what he's doing? I think that of myself on the take one. I think, oh, God, yeah, I know no what to think. About, no talking about you insecure. I'm talking about okay. what am I going yes. to do? I've seen that happen. Yeah. I, and I, sometimes they cut it together in the editing room and you go, you would never know, in a million years know. Yeah. There's a performance I'm thinking right now by a very famous actor. And he did it one line at a time. He somehow just couldn't get his lines two in a row. Had to do it one single line at a time. God. And he did it. And I went, this is going to be a disaster. They're going to have to reshoot it. Cut it together. It looks fantastic. You'd never, you'd never know. That's amazing, isn't amazing. it? Amazing. I remember I did. You remember Rod Steiger? Oh, I loved Rod. I got to know him a tiny bit. Yeah, I, I got to know him a little bit. first movie I did in Hollywood was a vampire movie, which I think was, may, might have been his last movie. Mm. It was a movie called, oh man, what's it called? Modern Vampires, I think. And it, it, exactly as you would think. Do you know what I mean? Like a like a schlock vampire movie. I think Rick Elfman directed it, Danny Elfman's brother. Oh, wow. And it was, it was fun and crazy and, and, and sort of, I think it was awful on purpose, but I don't know. I mean, it was awful, but, but it was kind of awful on purpose. Like right. Bobby Pastorelli played Dracula. <laughs> By the way, I'm laughing. <laughs> yeah, no, because Bobby Pastorelli was like, he's a guy from Brooklyn. Hey, how are you doing? The creatures of the night, the sound they make and all that. You know, it's like crazy. So Bobby Pastorelli's playing Dragon and Rod Steiger was playing uh, Professor Van Helsing. And I, I was, it was fucking nuts. But I remember sitting with Rod Steiger in a, in a car one night and I was talking to him obviously about on the waterfront. Because you know that scene he does with Brando when Brando does the, you know, I could have been a contender. Right, you, you instead of a bummer, which yeah, is yeah. what I am. In the back of the cab. And he said, he, said, he, he didn't like Brando. He said he, he, did, he didn't get on with Brando. He said he was a terrible actor to work with. He didn't, didn't enjoy working with him. He said that, that he would never stay for a reverse shot. He would never do any off-camera work, even, oh. which is mean. You got to do that. Yeah, but, you got to do that. And he said and he would never do that for the singles in the the cab shot when they're doing the 
you should have taken care of me, Johnny. I could have been a contender and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And so I went and I looked at it and it's, it's all in a two shot. Uh, you know, it's all, there's both of them in the shot all the time. Uh, it's kind of interesting. I was like, right. maybe, maybe that's what he was doing. Maybe he was forcing, maybe he was doing you a favor because it, 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 it's an odd thing. I mean, Brando clearly was, did you ever meet him? I knew him fairly well. Yeah. A I got a nice character. chapter about it in the book. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, did you get along? Very well. Good. He good, was a good because friend, I've heard but, terrible stories, but I never met him, so I don't know. But the reason I kept getting asked up there to visit him was I knew the ground rules. He never, ever, ever wanted to talk about acting, writing, directing, claymation, puppetry, train seals, anything that was <laughs> like show business. He wouldn't, wouldn't talk about it. You'd be done. You'd be out of the Rolodex. What did you but, guys talk about? Drywall, steel pipe, uh, galvanized pipe versus copper pipe, you know, uh, solar panels, wind turbines. Oh, he was interested in green stuff? Yeah, electric eels as a power source. Is that possible? Come on. Not remotely. No, I didn't think so. So I dissuaded him of that. He thought... <laughs> he literally wanted to do it. <laughs> and I would, love the idea of electric eels. as a, I mean, fuck, that would be great, though. Imagine how cool it would be just fill your car up with eels. But he wanted to do them in a motor or something, and he thought you could put an anode and a cathode in the water and get current. But before that, yeah. when he called me up this time, I thought, wow, this is finally it. This is the big day. He called me up, and he goes, Edward, Ed the bagel, it's Brand Flakes. You need to get up here as soon as possible. I've got a project I want to do with you. I've got all the funding in place. I've got distribution. Get up here quickly, please. For God's sake, we've got to talk about this project. Project, distribution, Brando, funding, yeah. let's go. I Finally, he wants to talk acting, and it's with me. Yeah. I normally rode my bike up there. I took my car. I went to Sean Penn to get the job. So I raced up there. <laughs> he wanted to talk about electric eels. Really? Distributing. He had the funding for the electric eels. He had the distribution. Oh, my God. It was God. a wonderful project he wanted to do with me, and he wanted to use electric eels to power his house. It's, uh, it's a shame it never to I mean, my I thought God. he was winding me up, but he was serious about he it. He really wanted to use electric eels. He, really, he literally thought it was possible. Oh, man. He had a vision for my wind turbine. He went, you still have that wind turbine in the desert? Yeah, I still have it. How would you like to increase the power 100%? How, what percent? 100%. How could, you do, how could you increase it 100%? And he draws a picture of like, like a cornucopia with the end cut off or a, an ear trumpet or a, a funnel. Right. In front of my wind turbine. I said, do you know how big my wind turbine is? Because it's like he does a little drawing of it. I said, it's 150 feet. So oh, you've got a giant wind turbine? Then. I had a wind turbine in the California desert. I was just part of a wind farm. I invested right. in it. So he knew that. And the thing he had in front of it, this funnel, would have made that like 300 feet. It would. I said it would tear down the wind turbine. The winds would be so much. You take every bird in the Pacific Flyway and chop them up like a Cuisinart. <laughs> but he had all these things. Why is it always no with you? For God's sake, everything's always no. Well, you, you should have got in on the electric eels. Thing. I should have. You, you, you could have been a billionaire by now. I'd be rich by now. You'd be rich in that sweet electric eel money. That's See, right. <laughs> swimming in it, as yeah, they say. swimming in it. The idea, because you hear a lot of stuff about electric cars and fossil fuel and wind turbines and stuff like that. And people, the negative is always the amount of carbon footprint that it takes to get these things to where they are. Or the, the big thing about electric cars is where do all the batteries go? And, uh, you know, is, is that real? Is that a real? You should always cons consider those things, but it's been very well studied by Union of Concerned Scientists, lots of other people who, with PhD after the name have looked at it. And there's still pollution. There's pollution in the mountain bike. There's right. pollution. There's pollution there was, in people. Cavemen yeah, have yeah. made pollution with their fires. There's pollution from anything, but the question is how much? And it's a teaspoon or a tanker truck, you know, from what you make with solar panels, there's energy used to create it. But over the life of the solar panels, which these days is 40, 50 years, you know, they don't really? just last a decade. People go, oh, they'll be gone in a decade. They lose power, but very little. They lose like a percentage in a year or two, another percent after that. Well, any very engine little. does that too. And anything makes pollution, but, you know, wind turbine, for example, you need energy to make the wind turbine, but over the long life of it, mine, for instance, I had 30 years, three decades, made me a lot of money, and it also made a lot of power. And mine was the old the old kind that's only, you know, uh, seven, 75 kilowatts. Yeah, they, they, they're all over Scotland now, the big giant ones. The big, they're, the, they're the megawatt and a half, they're two meg. Yeah, they're, they're huge, but it's kind of tricky because they're not pretty. 
Uh, no, they're not. And they're and I think when you get so many of them, you know, because you have to basically with the nature of what they are, they have to be in areas where there's wind, yep. which tends to be areas that are pretty, you know, yeah, because, the coastal areas. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a little tricky. They had this idea to put them all out to sea around Britain. Like they these, can do that. Yeah, they can do that. it so far away you won't even notice the speck in the distance. Yeah, they run the cable in. That'd be kind of cool. I think they should you, do more. You're of that. still very committed to it. Obviously, do you still ride the subway in LA? And I do. I ride it regularly. Yeah. Now I've never been on it. I lived here for 23 years. I was never on it. It's a wonderful system. Does it actually? I oh mean, yeah, it takes a, a lot of people a lot of miles. It's a big area they cover. You can take a, the rail or the bus or light rail or something from Pomona all the way out to Long Beach, and from uh, also you can take it out to like Trancas to. Uh, you know, it's a big area that the metro covers. It's so funny because I, whenever I'm in Los Angeles, I mean, I don't live here anymore. I haven't lived here for a couple of years, but the, I can't imagine not having a car. I need to rent a car when I get here or I feel trapped. Yeah. You know, I, I but maybe it's a mindset that needs fixing. Yeah. Some routes are going to be trickier than others. If you live somewhere out in the middle of the West Valley and you need to get downtown every day to get to that orange line bus and then get to the subway and make those you know, connections can take you a while. They're trying to eliminate that, make that more efficient. But uh, but my, for me, I live in Studio City. I hop on that Metro uh, red line, you know, to go downtown to Hollywood. It's just much easier than driving. It's quicker, easier. Everything about it's better. I'm going to try it. You talked me into it. I'm gonna, Give it I'm a try. It. Yeah, yeah. Is it clean? It is. It's now clean again. It was not clean for a while because of COVID. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, some a lot of people who have you know, mental problems and drug problems kind of took over the subway right. stations and what have you. We're taking it back. Not for me. I have choices. I could get in my electric car and go. But people right. have no choice. Working people rely on the subway and on the bus line. The bus line is the backbone of the system. And you got to keep those safe and the rail stations. And we're taking it back every day. Do you uh, do you get involved in local politics in, in LA? A bit. Yeah. My daughter's working at Metro now, so I'm very supportive of her. Oh, cool. We did a thing. She rode the, She rides the Metro all the time. She has since she was a baby with me. And then she did a thing where she rode it all week, didn't get in her car, her electric car once, rode it all week. Then we went to the Oscars together on the Metro. Ah, that's right. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. So that's awesome. It was very, very good. So now she's working at Metro, trying to help spread the word about what works and what needs to be worked on. Well, let's see. Now, I have kid. My youngest boy is 13. My oldest is in his early 20s. And you mentioned earlier that your daughter got sober when she was 15. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen anything like that in my kids. But but I, I'd be terrified by that. You know, but the idea of I, I did I don't want to you know you know discuss your daughter because that's her business. But, right, right. But how did you feel about that? Did you feel like because you had gone through it, you were able to help her, or did you have to stand back a bit and let her find her own way to it? What was the? I did a little bit of each. You know, I just yeah. said if you because there was a morning where the, it seemed like things were going off the rails, and I just wanted to say, she said, "Do you, th Dad? Do you think I? Do you think I have a problem?" And I said. Yes, I do. Okay. Do you want help? Yes, I do, said she. She says, okay, then I'm here. But I didn't want to make her do anything. It would be a dad in this case. Yeah. And make her do X, Y, or Z. Very tricky. I mean, it's funny because, I mean, I definitely qualified to get help when I was 15 years old. I didn't get it till I was 29. But the any anyone that can say, and I've, I've met people who get sober at that age of, who are great. Yeah. You know, just great. And I, I love the idea that people can get sober now when they're young. There used to be quite kind of a kind of snobbishness, weird reverse kind of snobbishness about you had to really screw your life up for a long period of time before you qualified for sobriety, which doesn't seem fair to me. Imagine if they had social media when I was out there drinking. Oh I'd never God. work another day. Oh my God. I would not have worked in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. No, or no, no. I, I think of it. I talk, I have obviously, I've, friends who have been sober for a long time and we talk about that that the idea if there had been social media in the oh 1980s boy. i mean not because of anything other than just like pathetic behavior exactly that you know, was it just, me it was just tragic it was but i mean that's the thing about and i've been guilty of this as, as anyone that when talking particularly to you know in show business or doing stand-up and stuff you can make the the drinking years sound funny right 
But they weren't that funny. They were. They no, were there's some serious sad, stuff connected to it. Know, Very it bad like, stuff connected. Yeah. The fact was, that I didn't kill anybody, I'm still grateful for. Me I, too. When I get busted oh, for my DUI, I'm like, oh, geez, if I'd have hit someone. God help us. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? I drank a quart of vodka every day, took pills, and operated a vehicle. Yeah, so me too. I don't too, know how man. the hell I did that. What pills did you take? I would take uh, Valium to cure the hangover. I would occasionally take Quaaludes, which you're oh, not yeah. supposed I to never, take. I take. never got around to Quaaludes. That's one that I missed. I, I said earlier I took them all, but I didn't take Quaaludes. I hear tell they were... They were pretty good. Yeah, they were like remarkable said, thing. They were considered an hypnotic drug, and yeah. I was definitely hypnotized by them. Oof. Oof. Yeah. And then acid, I remember. Cannabis and acid were the ones I didn't like. I like the, z- the zippy ones, like cocaine or methamphetamine. Yeah. You, know, you and I, me both. Or a nice solid base note of heroin. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> I did it four times. I snorted it four times, yeah. and I loved it too. Yeah, that's about how many times I did it. About the same amount of times. And I, I remember thinking, I remember lying down. And I'd done. Do you remember they used to call it speedball? Yep. With cocaine and heroin. At the yep. Same together. Time. And I remember lying down in in a shitty apartment in New York, having done that. And I felt like I was upside down and I couldn't shake the feeling of like I was hanging by my feet. Oh boy. Every time I closed my eyes, I felt like I was upside down. And I thought, this is not recreational. I, this is not, this, I'm not having a good time here. No. And it was only uh, another nine years before I got sober. <laughs> yeah, I started to realize it was a, a bad scene for me in 76. It took me three years to finally get it together. It takes a while, yeah. So do you think, is there still a time when when you're awed by Hollywood? Because I think of you as someone who's lived inside this this business in this town for for so long, you, your entire life, really. You, yes. you you've been inside it. Does it contain mystery and awe for you now, or is it it's a place of work and uh, like you ever meet someone you go, I can't believe I met, you know? I still get that reaction when I meet people who are fine actors, fine musicians, things like that. I just get all the Twitter. Because it's a big deal. People that are that on their game, that Talent creative, that talented. Yeah. Just when I first met Joaquin Phoenix, I was like trembling. He's such an incredible actor. It just inspires me, everything I've ever seen him in. So uh, that was a big one. Working with Meryl Streep for the first time, you know, meeting Jack Nicholson for the first time. Yeah, working yeah. with Bob Hoskins, for God's sake. What a talent he was. He was, yeah. I tried to get him to go in that to that movie I told you about. I spoke to him on the phone. Oh, my God. And I, I love wanted that. him to play the, this old rock star in it. And I spoke to him on the phone and I said, will you be in it? He went, well, who else is in it? <laughs> <laughs> Very good Bob Hoskins, by yeah, the way. I said, well, and I said a bunch of people who were in it. He went, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll have a think about it. Uh, I've never heard Never heard from him again. But that's all right. Uh, I have a bold work of art right as you enter my home. Bob Hoskins came in years ago for the first time, looked at it and went, hey, what happened here? What happened here? (laughs) What happened here? What's the, what's the, what is it very uh, fan, uh, kind of striking modern piece? Is that what it oh, is? Oh, just a bunch of colors, splatter kind of colors and what have you. (laughs) It's not a face or a vase or a flower or anything like that. That's all right. It was great. It sounds good. Well, you know what? We're out of time, Ed. Well, let's get together and do it again. Yeah, I, I'm very happy to do it again anytime you like. I am sad to hear about your diagnosis, but I am delighted for you that you had to tell me about it because I couldn't. I, I swear to, because you know Billy Conley has Parkinson's right now, and Billy, you can you can see it. I love that man. I just oh, did you read that God. wonderful piece about him in the Times? Uh, I think it was L.A. Times. It was a great piece about him and Pam. I did not see oh, that. Oh, wonderful. Written. I'll send it to you. Yes, please. Billy was Jackie Robinson for me. Do you know what I mean? No he question. Was, yeah, I mean, he was like, there was, he was Elvis. You know, he was. He is Elvis. He's he amazing. is Elvis. He, he's amazing. Amazing. And he said that, did he tell you about this? That he was walking through the airport and a doctor came over to him and said, I, I, think, I think you may have Parkinson's. You should, you should go and get checked out. Just because of the walk. Oh, that's right. I heard something to that effect. Yeah. Yes, that's right. He didn't know. Yeah. That happened to me, but the the guy didn't tell me. He told my cousin. Oh, really? And so my cousin said, rightly so, for what I knew at the time, a neurologist said, does your cousin know that he has Parkinson's? My cousin rightly said, he didn't have Parkinson's. He would have told me that. Yeah. But he could see it and I didn't. And he didn't want... It's amazing that seemed uncomfortable to come and say, Ed, this guy thinks he has Parkinson's. He, I wouldn't want to do that to him, so he didn't do it to me. 
it's probably just as well I didn't learn it till years later. That's an amazing thing. I mean, it's a, but you don't have that distinctive walk. I, I don't no, see it's it, very man. subtle, all very subtle back yeah. then. Yeah. Well, look, continued health to you. You too, my friend. Uh, it's great to see you. You are an inspiration and a force for good in this town. You are a corrective weight uh, uh, in, in the Hollywood scales. And so a, are you, And buddy. a powerful one, too. Good to see you, pal. Always good to see you. All right. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth, no matter who you are, that mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's better. H-E-L-P dot com. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.